Yes, and there shall come a time like the stars in the sky. You will multiply, and I know that you are of untimely age, and your barren wife has a better way. Well, Sarah came to set things right through the husband in the room, and then closed her eyes. A servant of the Lord came to give her a womb. A servant of the Lord has her own mind too. And we're working our way through the book of Romans thinking about that. And uh, what I want to do tonight is look at a passage. So last week, if you were here, we looked at a hard passage at the end of Romans 1. The, the main point of the passage is basically this. The world does not realize, the world apart from God, we could call uh, anyone who is not yet a believer or is an unbeliever, still made in the image of God but living in rebellion against him. Paul's word was sort of directed against what you, what you might call in his day the pagan world. And this week, the way he transitions is genius is you can imagine his religious friends, both Gentiles and Jews, watching, listening, and then he turns his focus directly onto them. And I'm guessing if you come to RUF, this is most likely you. I'm guessing most of you in this room would consider yourself religious at some level. You grew up with some relationship or at least knowledge about God. You probably grew up in some kind of a church. A lot of you did. A lot of you, I would assume, would call yourself a Christian. You could tell me your conversion story. And yet, this, we're exactly who Paul is directing his message to tonight. And so I'm going to read, we're not going to read all of Romans 2, I'm going to skip around a little bit, but here's what we're going to do. Romans 2, I'm going to start in verse 1, and uh, read to verse 5, and then skip down to 17. It's in your handout if you want to read along, or you can open if you brought a Bible. Uh, here we go, Romans 2, here's what Paul writes. He says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges... For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. In other words, the very same things he just condemned at the end of chapter 1, you do. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent, unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Skip down to 17. But if you call yourself a Jew, think Christian. If you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery... Do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. 
But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into what I want to talk about. Let's pray first. Uh, Lord, you tell us that your word does two things. Lord, it comforts those of us who are afflicted and come with an anxious soul, feeling the weight of our sin, crying out for a Savior, and yet... It also convicts and challenges and shakes up those of us who come proud in ourselves, thinking we're pretty decent, good people, and yet not knowing the darkness of our heart. And Lord, I pray that as we look at this passage you have for us, Paul's words for us, Lord, would you challenge us and convict us in beautiful, healing ways. But Lord, you are the only one that can not just, Lord, we say that we're sinners, but you are the only one that can show us that we're sinners. Lord, would you do that in our midst tonight? Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So I mentioned the next few weeks, really just this tonight and then next week, are going to be pretty dark sermons, just because basically what Paul is doing is he's trying to convince his readers, he's trying to convince you and I, that we're sinful and we need Jesus. That's essentially what he's doing. And so he's really taking a long Tarantino-like look into the darkness of man's heart in ways, he's not going to keep us there, but if we don't get the bad news first, we're never going to come to a place where we rejoice in the good news of who Jesus says and who Paul is going to say Jesus is and what he's done for us. So that's what Paul is doing. But I said because it's a little bit dark, we're taking Taylor Swift as our guide just to sort of lighten it up a little bit for us. And tonight what we're going to do, because we said Taylor Swift understands the human heart more than most artists. And so the song we're going to do tonight is The Moment I Knew. Here's what she says. It's an old one. She says, In the hours pass by, now I just want to be alone. But your close friends always seem to know when there's something really wrong. So they follow me down the hall, and there in the bathroom I try not to fall apart. And the sinking feeling starts as I say hopelessly, he said he'd be here. And it was like slow motion, standing there in my party dress, in red lipstick, with no one to impress. And they're all laughing and asking me about you. But there was one thing missing, and that was the moment I knew. Before we start crying. (laughs) Hold it together. The reason I chose this one is because I think what I hope happens for you tonight, and for me, is that we have what we can simply call a sort of aha moment. A a realization, a, a sad realization, that we are the ones Paul is talking to. That we are the ones, you and I, a lot of us, that have walked about as if we're better than everyone else around us, as if our sin wasn't just as neat, just as desperately needing the death of Jesus, as if the sin of those around us is somehow worse than our own. This is what you've got to kind of understand tonight is Paul is doing this thing where he's saying there really are two different ways to be estranged, lost from God. One is what we looked at last week, which is one where you're outwardly rebelling. You've done that thing where you've exchanged worshiping the creator 
for the creation. And you've sort of, in very outwardly explicit ways, denied God, lived for yourself, lived for pleasure. Like we could think about, you know, with this parable Jesus tells in Luke 15, the younger brother who goes off into the country, the far country, and he lives with prostitutes and he lives this wild life. But there's another way Paul is saying in Romans 2 of being lost, which we could simply call religiously lost. Where you've grown up in the church and you've even maybe, you've even maybe called yourself a Christian your whole life. And yet you're just as lost. And maybe your sins aren't as outward, maybe your sins aren't as obvious, but they're there. You have things in your life, maybe they're secret and hidden, or maybe they're more sins of the heart. I always love, I say it all the time, that C.S. Lewis has this great line where he says, the devil became the devil not through lust, but through pride. And there's a sense in which that's a lot of us tonight. A lot, a lot of you are here, and you are religiously lost. You could tell me you know, your conversion story, you can tell me how many people that you've led to Jesus. You could tell me about the Bible studies that you've led. You could tell me about all these performance-oriented things that you do right now for Jesus. And yet the Lord is looking at you through this passage, and he's saying through the words of Isaiah, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And so tonight what I want to do is look at what does it mean. I just want to do two things tonight. I want to look at what does it mean to be religiously lost, signs or marks that you are religiously lost, And then lastly, secondly, and lastly, hope for those of us who find ourselves in that place. Hope for the religiously lost. So first, think with me for a second, kind of looking at this passage, especially the early verses and then some of the later verses, about what it means, signs that you are religiously lost. And here's the first one. The first one is simply this. You're hard on others, but you're easy on yourself. This is one of the first things Paul draws out about the human heart, is you and I have this superpower. We are X-Men of X-Men with this super ability. And the super ability is that your sin, especially if it's different than mine, seems so much bigger and worse than my own. And when I look at you, you are far worse, and I am far more critical about you and you are toward others than I am toward myself or you are toward yourself. And there's a sense in which what Paul is trying to do is to turn the camera around. To get us to look in the mirror and face that we, in the words of Nathan as he went and confronted David, that we are the man. That we are the ones that God is talking about. That we are the ones that have sent any Jesus. Um, I think about, I was thinking about it like this. So uh, when I was, this is my second year ever in ministry. And I had one of the hardest situations I've ever had. And it's a long story I can't go into for a lot of reasons. But essentially, got a phone call from two students living together where a super serious crime had been committed against them that was really, had really shaken them up. And uh, they called me to try to help to just come over and help them sort through that what was happening to them, what had happened to them. We had to call the cops. The cops came. I'm like, multiple cops came. This was a serious, serious thing where people, you know, went to jail. And so there's a sense that while we were there, like I'm here with these two students and the cops come and there's this moment where they're trying to figure out the person who's done this thing against them. They know is someone that they, that knows them pretty well. And there's this moment where the cops are trying to, they're asking them questions. They ask me a few questions and you can tell that the cops at this moment ask me to leave. They're like, Sammy, can we get you to leave for a moment? I was kind of like, Oh, what do you mean? Like I'm here. Like, and in that moment, I knew, so I was like, I'll go get Dunkin' Donuts for you, because the answer in hard times like that is to get coffee and donuts, which is why we have donuts tonight. And I, I leave, but I, what I realize is happening is that I'm, I'm a suspect, and I feel this immediate need to kind of defend myself. But, I, you know, that moment, I'll never forget that moment thinking, oh, they think that this could be me. 
And this is exactly what Paul is trying to do for you spiritually tonight, is to get you to see not this could be me, this is me. I'm the one who deserves to die. I'm the one that deserves hell. I'm the one that deserves to die, what we talked about last week, for what I've done. And there's a sense in which he, he doesn't want to let us off the hook for that. He doesn't want to move us too quickly from that. So the first thing, the one, first, one of the first ways you know you're religious thoughts is you're hard on others, but you're easy on yourself. The second way, looking at verses 2 and 3, is similar. These all go together. Is you apply scripture to everyone but yourself. Jesus does this thing with the Pharisees, if you've ever read the Gospels. So in John 5, one of, the th- one of the most scathing things he says against the Pharisees, these religious leaders, is he says, listen, you guys know a bunch of scripture. You know it backwards and forwards. You could, you could teach me a Bible study, and yet you've missed the whole point because you've missed your need for me. And there are some of us who have, we literally, we've memorized scripture, we've led Bible studies, and yet we literally have missed our need for Jesus. I love the way, it's in your handout, I love the way that Tim Keller does it in his little commentary, Romans for You. Here's what he does, look at it. He's looking at verse 17 to 20, but it's worth reading because he inserts Christian for Jew, and here's what he says. He says that it is instructed to insert Christian for Jew and paraphrase verses 17 to 20 like this. You call yourself a born-again Christian, and you are sure you are right with God because you signed a commitment card or walked down an aisle or prayed a prayer, and you really cried that night. You remember you had strong feelings for God, so you must have been converted that night. And hey, since, they, since then you have memorized dozens of scripture verses, and you know the right answer to a large array of questions, and you've led other people to make a commitment to Christ in the Bible study you led and you want to get deep into the Bible, that's why you're here at RUF, which he didn't say, but I added. And as some of you, 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 you could, you've applied Scripture to everyone but yourself, and you've missed your need for Jesus. The third mark, or the third sign, as you think about this idea of being religiously lost, is this, is you often fluctuate between condemning others and condemning yourself. In other words, when you're living in what we could call a self-righteous way of approaching God, where you really do think that you are performing in a way that makes you worthy and acceptable to God, it always has to lead you to places. You either think you're keeping that standard, so you feel pretty good about yourself, therefore you look down on others who aren't keeping that standard, or you realize you're breaking that standard and you feel pretty crappy about yourself and it's hard for you to get out of bed and you get depressed. But when we're living in a place of of self-righteousness... It always leads us to either being proud or being completely in despair. Four, the fourth thing, this is all connected. He says, you think, looking at verses 17 and 20, you think that God loves you because of what you know and do. And that's exactly what these Jews he was talking to thought. That they, through their performance, that they, through what they knew, through having the scriptures, through living a holy life, were making themselves lovable and acceptable to God. And that's exactly how they live. They, this idea that, you know, that God doesn't love you because you love him, which John says to us, but that God first loved you when you didn't love him was completely foreign. And so one of the ways you know this is you is you have no assurance that the Father loves you. You have no assurance, no feeling of what it means for the Father to hold you in his arms. I remember when my daughter 
you know, when she was about three, my oldest daughter, she would do this thing where she would cry at night sometimes. And she would, when she would cry, she would say, Daddy, my eyes are wet. My eyes are wet. And what she would want me to do is to draw near to her and wipe away the tears from her eyes. And it was a moment as a father that was like a deep moment where you're like, I love you. I want to be with you. And she could feel that moment, which is why she would ask me to wipe away the tears. And there's a sense in which when you're living as a religiously lost person, you, you know that that can happen. You know the way Jonathan Edwards says it, that honey is sweet, but you've never tasted it. You've never tasted the sweetness of the love of God for you. That's why Martin Luther used to love to say, the most important thing about the gospel is the personal pronouns of the gospel. That Jesus died for me. That Jesus loved me so much that he gave himself for me. And there are a lot of you in this room that you can say that, but you can't feel that. And you, you can know that, but it's never deeply, deeply, deeply changed the way that you think and changed the way that you relate and changed the way that you do everything. Five, this is why it's all connected again, verses 21 and 22. Therefore, you live a secret life. Therefore, there are parts of you that don't go out on Facebook, that don't go out on Instagram, that don't go out on Twitter. This is why, you know, if you've been watching or you've been part of, you know, some of you maybe you've literally been part of this, where the Ashley Madison hack is such a real thing. Like, I mean, in my world, there's been pastor after pastor after pastor who has been implicated, who either they've been caught through the released information or they kind of came forward and confessed. And, man, there are a lot of different things that, that we could say about it. I mean, one, one of the things that we could say about it is part of what Paul is saying is, listen, if you have a sinless Internet history, cast the first stone, my friend. If, if I could take your Internet history and put it up on the board tonight and you're like, yeah, that's it, that's me. I mean, you know, like, the, your internet history is the real you. And I don't just mean with, like, lust. Like, there's all kinds of stuff. There's, like, you know, there's greed. There's this sense in which we think we are our clothes. There's a sense in which we, you know, we have lots of different things can happen for us in the internet. Um, and there's a sense in which, you know, but part of what's but happened when I look at some of my pastor and, and some of my even friends that were, you know, caught up in this, is there's a sense in which there was a secret life that I completely understand and relate to because there's a sense in which you know what you should be, and especially if you grew up in the church, you know what you should be your whole life, and yet you don't feel loved by God, you don't feel close to God, and so you develop the secret life where you do find something, you do find love, you do find connection, you do find some means of making yourself feel okay, and there's this complete disconnect, Paul is saying. And here's the sixth and final one. You reduce, this is really important, we're going to actually, I'm going to draw on the board tonight, which will be interesting, but you reduce... Loving God, what it means to love God, as keepable things that really take his holy standard and make it something much more keepable, much more something that is attainable and doable. Um, it's, that's really weighed heavily in your favor. This is the way that I think about it. So, like, uh, we think when you become a Christian, this is like, I'm not a diagram person, so you're going to have to bear with me. This is the only one I do. I'm going to do this tonight. We call it the old, the old cross chart in our uh, and nope. <laughs> Blue. Mm-hmm. So we have God and his holy standard. And then we have you. And our fallen community. And what happens?
Christian, is you realize Romans 3.23, which we're going to get to, you realize all have fallen short of the glory of God, all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, and the good news, that's the bad news, the good news though is God sent Jesus, and you realize, oh, praise Jesus, God has sent a Savior for me to be reconciled to him, and it's a beautiful and wonderful thing. But what happens is you begin to know what his holy standard is. We can also call this just what your ideal self is, what you should ideally be. And you start in on the Christian life, and you think about the Christian life. This is, let me just tell you my story. I started in, I became a Christian, a freshman in high school. And uh, before, I grew up in the church, but didn't know any for Jesus. Uh, through God showing me really some anger issues toward my sister, and I would say some lust issues that I knew were not right. There was a sense in which I saw many for Jesus. I heard and received the good news. I, you know, however you want to say it, came to know Jesus. And I began, uh, yeah, I began immediately thinking, okay, what does it mean to live the Christian life? And here's how I did it. So the first thing I knew is I need to start praying. And so there was a sense in which, you know, here I am. I start, I'm just say praying. I start praying every day. I pray for my family. I pray for my sister, who I used to you know, hate. And I start praying for her. I pray for a lot of people. And then I keep, I feel a little bit good about myself. I'm, I'm literally, listen, I'm praying like every night. It's a big thing. Then, more than that, not only do I start praying, I start reading the Bible. And like, I mean like really reading the Bible. Like I'm like nightly reading two chapters. I'm like working my way through the New Testament. I'm like encountering things. What does this mean? Old Testament, I have no idea what to do with, but I'm still self I'm like in there. I'm reading it, and I'm like not missing quiet times. Like it's pretty impressive, to be honest with you. You could, I wish you could know a 15-year-old me. I would make so much more sense. <laughs> so then I realized pretty quickly through my youth group uh, I need to start sharing my faith. And so I do. I remember very awkwardly one time confronting uh, my neighbor who was much older than me and being like, hey, man, you love God? Like, you need to love God. Also turns out he was in a severe car accident and was crippled for the rest of his life, but I didn't, like, want to touch that story. I was like, you love God, man? And he was like, I don't know what to do with this. I, I had this tragic event in my life. I'm like, let's forget that. Let's get to the gospel. <laughs> Here I am. I'm making my way. Feeling pretty good. And I'm, I feel like I'm really, you know, like I'm really growing. I'm really being, when I, I'm getting close to my ideal self. Like my sinless, in my mind, self. And then this last one would be, you know, the things that I don't do. I don't drink. I don't smoke weed. That's W for that one. Uh, I don't have sex. These individuals are not great, but we're going to roll them. I'm not, you know, what else would I put in there? I don't, I don't smoke cigarettes. I don't, oh, this is bigger for me. I don't cuss. And I mean, like, and this was probably, this was enough. I was feeling pretty good, but my other friends did that. I needed one extra thing that made me better. And so my thing was, I'm going to sell all my Christian, my secular music. I'm going to sell all of it. I really, I was smart enough to know I don't just need to give it away. I need to sell it so I can get some money back and buy, like, Christian music. So I do. So I do only... OCM, only Christian music. <laughs> like literally, y'all, like this is a real, this is real talk for me. So I mean, one of my most shameful, funny but not funny moments as a freshman was I'm like, well, I'm here, I am right here. I think like, I mean, what else can I really do to show Jesus that I love Him? I mean, I'm kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm not missing my quiet times. I'm like introverted, but I'm sharing my faith enough for an introvert. You know, and I'm doing, not doing any of this stuff, although this started to break down through a girlfriend, which is another long story. Uh, 
But I remember this conversation in Pickens, Pickens and Green, with this guy I just met as a freshman, and we were talking about you know, how we came to know Jesus. And I remember working it in, like, like, it, like literally we had met five minutes ago. And I remember working in somehow, listen, I need you to know that I only listen to Christian music. And he was like, I don't. I'm like, oh, well, I do. <laughs> and I remember, like, I, I, I wish I could put myself in his mind. Like, what did he think of me when I was like, listen, man, I need you to know this about me. That secular music, it's, just, it's not for me. You know why? I really love Jesus. I know, it's cute. You think you love Jesus. Oh, that's cute. I really love Jesus. And here I am. And here's literally what happened to me is my, the cross, why I needed my need for Jesus, went like this, where like, I really kind of thought Jesus loved me because I was a pretty great guy. And that's exactly what Paul, we're going to finish this, there's an end part of this, we're going to say, uh, but that's where I was, and that's exactly what Paul is saying, and that's your story, whether you know it or not, that's your story. Some of you are like, you know, some of you are, are here, you know, I don't know where you are, some of you are here. And maybe hopefully what the Lord has done through college for you is we're going to do the second part of this chart in a minute, and he's really showing you this isn't working, and that this guy is actually worse than this guy. Because this guy doesn't get the cross at all. This guy can say and talk all the Christian thing, but this guy doesn't love Jesus. Because he doesn't see his need for Jesus. This guy had hope to love Jesus, and we're going to see what the Lord does in a second. This is the second thing I want you to see. So first, so here if we get there's six things we could boil it down into one thing. Here it is. You think you're better than you really are. You think you're hot stuff, and you're not. You think you're spiritually attractive, and you're not. And that's the bad news. But there's hope. And Paul gives us the hope end of the passage. Look at it with me. He starts doing this weird thing where he talks about you're, bear with me here because this gets a little confusing. He starts doing this thing where he talks about circumcision. If you're looking at it, he's like, some of you are outwardly circumcised, but not inwardly circumcised. And some of you are inwardly circumcised, but not outwardly circumcised. What in the world, why is he bringing up circumcision? So here's what you have to understand about circumcision that I think it was new-ish for me in the last, you know, probably 10 years of my life. But still, as I was studying it um, the last few days, really hit home again. So what happened in that day was when, People entered into a covenant or a contract. They didn't sign a contract. So, like, when I did a lease to, to rent my house for three years, I signed and had it sealed and notified. My, you know, landlord signed and had it sealed and notified. That's not what they did in that day. When you entered into a contract with someone, you, did, you really enacted what we could call a covenant ceremony. And there was this outward thing that was done that represented if someone were to break the contract, may this happen to us. So two examples of that. So one of the common things that happened in that day is they would take dirt from the ground, pick it up, sprinkle it on the ground, and what it signified was if either of us breaks this contract, if either of us breaks this covenant, may we return to dust. May we die. Another common thing, this is more a biblical thing, if you've ever read Genesis, which we're going to work our way through this semester, Genesis 15, the first covenant that God makes with man, or the, you know, the first one that's, that's really there for us, is with Abraham. And it's a weird passage. If you go read Genesis 15 tonight, he, God asked Abraham to sacrifice some animals. They're laying, the parts are laying on two sides. And God does this thing where he takes this fire pot and he, he walks between the animals. And what he's doing is he's it signified something. And what it signified was, if I break this covenant, may I be cut to pieces. If I break this covenant, may I be the, the bloody mess that these animals are. May that happen to me if I or you break this covenant. Now, 
if you've read the Old Testament, so circumcision was a way, when, he, when God told Abraham to be circumcised, he was saying something to him. When he asked him literally to cut off a precious part of his body, he was saying, listen, if you break this covenant with me, may you be cut off. May you be cut off from me. May you be cut off from what it is to know and love me. May you be cut off from my presence. Now, the thing is, if you've read the Old Testament, you know that God's people were not faithful to the covenant. Like, none of them were. Like, even the heroes, like Moses, Abraham, Moses, David, any, of the, any hero you want to find in the Old Testament, you can say they broke and were unfaithful to the covenant. Which is why it's crazy if you go back and read Genesis 15, God does this weird, cool thing where not only does he work, not only does he walk through those parts for his part of the covenant, he walks through in Abraham's place as well. And it's as if he's saying, Abraham, if you break my covenant, I will be cut off. I will be the one who is cut off in your place. So Paul, if you know his letters at all, does this, does this thing in Colossians 2 where he says this about Jesus. He says, in him, talking to Christians, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh, and here's what he says, by the circumcision of Christ. And Paul in that moment does this thing where he says, listen, the circumcision of Christ is that Christ was cut off for you. Another way we could say it was Christ was cut off that you might be brought in. That on the cross, Christ was lost, estranged from the presence of God, feeling the wrath of God, and he was lost that you might be found. Or another way to say it was the judge literally was judged in our place, that you and I who judge people all the time might be forgiven and not judged. And there's a real sense in which, when you begin to grasp that, that's what Paul's talking about, that inward circumcision, that inward being cut to the heart by the gospel and being changed. And what happens is this. When you begin to realize, Paul is talking about me. And, you know, here's the way it works. When he does that thing in 21, 22, and 23, when he says, you who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who preach against adultery, do you commit adultery? You who, you know, do you do that? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Do you worship idols in your heart? And he's turning, he's saying, listen, you are worse than you think you are. Here was God's grace to me, and here's what I want, here was the moment. So here, here's fresh with me. And then somewhere in sophomore year, I joined this fraternity. And it's like the Christian fraternity where, like, guys are Christians in it. And I'm the chaplain. And I remember I'm living in the hall, and I, like, I go to this Christian concert, and I buy this. Uh, back in the day, it was the Calvin and Hobbes stickers were all the rage. And the sticker I buy to show my fraternity brothers that, like, I am a man of God is the one with Calvin kneeling at the cross. It's, like, the worst sticker of all time. But I put it on my door, like, hey, you want to know where a man of God lives? It's in here. Knock on room one. 23, whatever the number was. It's where McBride, envision McBride. It was the old fraternity quad. So here I'm the chaplain, and literally this is this is one of the moments. This is a vulnerable moment. I'm going to just embrace it. But here was the moment. I remember vividly there were guys three doors down that always, they weren't, you know, they were like Christians, and I was the one who was like the gatekeeper of, are you a real Christian or like a, say, you know, like a, so you say you're a Christian. I was the one that got to determine that, which is a pretty sweet place as the chaplain. And so here I was, and these guys would always get together and shut the door, and they would, they would smoke weed together. And I remember I was, like, enraged by it. So I would be like, 
oh, I'm going to catch these guys, and I can never catch them. And uh, I remember I reported them to our RA, like, these guys, they're in here, you can smell it, they're smoking weed in here, and, like, but they would never open the door. And so at, this is literally the same week as this is happening, and it's kind of awkward because they know I'm the one telling on them, but, like, I'm pretending like I'm not the one telling on them, like a real man of God with the Calvin sticker on my door. And uh, here's what happens. So one day I'm in my room, and I'll be honest with you, I had a real struggle with porn at the time. But no one knew. I told no one. And, like, not even my closest friends did I tell. Here's what happens. So I'm in my room. I pretend like I'm not there. I lock the door. And what happens is a friend, who's one of the smoking weed guys, left his book bag in there. So he comes in. And I can hear him. He's knocking. He went in here. And I'm like, lights out. No one's in here. And then he goes and gets to RA, unlocks the door. They walk in. And there I am. And I remember jumping up into my bed, getting under the covers. I remember desperately being like, please don't, don't tell anyone about this. Please don't say anything to anyone about this. And, I, and I'm sure they were like, yeah, you mean the guy that tried to bust us for smoking weed? Like, you want us to not say anything about this? Like, do you see the thickness of the irony of this? And it was a moment, for me, where like this was gone. But here's what happened instead. It's a beautiful moment was I began seeing that not only am I nowhere near this, but I'm actually, when I was here, like I had a decent sense of my need for Jesus. But part of the way growth works in the Christian life, real growth, that's what the Puritans used to say, that all genuine growth in the Christian life is downward growth. And what that means is, it's not that you're actually getting worse, but what happens is God, because you've been told and you say I'm a sinner, but what happens in the words of John Newton is God is showing you that you're a sinner. And he's showing you the ways that you've preached and pretended to be that at the end of the day, you're just like everybody else. You're a, a broken person who's worshiping idols and you desperately need Jesus. And what happens is a beautiful thing is you begin to realize more and more and more that you are worse than you thought. The cross gets bigger and bigger and bigger so that by the end of John Newton's life he said I don't know much, I'm an old man, I'm blind but I remember two things I'm a great sinner and Jesus is a great savior and this guy this guy will follow Jesus anywhere this girl will go anywhere with Jesus because Jesus is everything because this person knows that apart from the cross they've got nothing and my question simply is for you. Have you begun this journey? Realizing more and more and more that you need Jesus tonight more than you realize. And that your brokenness goes deeper than maybe you want to admit. Um, let me pray for us. Let's pray. Lord, you alone can uh, take something silly like a chart like that and make it real to our hearts and make it powerful to us. And Lord, I pray that you would. And I pray that we would fall more in love um, with you, Lord Jesus. You are our only hope. You are the one who alone loves us, who knows all of the stuff that we're pretending and we're hiding and that we don't even see. And yet you move toward us in love and you died for us in love. And Lord, would you draw us tonight? Would you draw us near? to you tonight. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.
to the no ones, with an eye to the masses, to the ones for the riches, from the ones who the racks it. Little smoke for the gone boys, a little nod to the spirits. We're still here running around screaming, they're still here pointing and laughing. The walk away when I thought, telling you, turn around, mister. I got a permanent pop, but I think I am not, and I'm twice as hot. That's about half a hell, I got lighthouse lit up, get down, bit up. The boy got a barracuda bite, you can tell. Got hope for the living, got prayers for the dead. In the sky, got whiskey and rap for the voices in my head. Got good for the pain, cause the world is dangerous. Driven great men insane, anchored itself with angel dust. Somewhere between love and lust, a nut get bust and a baby get made. It seems that trouble, trouble us and follow us like all our days. In every holy book it says we suffer, that's what it is. So riddle me this from the womb to the tomb, why do we fight the least?